1: Welcome to a special Labor Day edition of Fight Back. Hope you've been enjoying your long weekend, the final long weekend of summer 2021. Although there is still a lot of beautiful summer-like weather to go, hopefully through to Thanksgiving. Our Zoomer squad joins us for the first half of the show, as they do every Monday, including on holiday Mondays. David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. And Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating Officer and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP. Thank you both for taking time out of your Labor Day to join us.
2: Hi, Jane. Hi, Bill. Thanks, Jane. Good to be here. Hi, David.
1: Well, I thought we should start this Labor Day by talking about and paying tribute to older workers. And when I consulted the Government of Canada website, older workers are classified as 55 and older. So let me put the question to you, our Zoomer radio listeners. You can get into our Zoomer squad conversation here. What is keeping you working beyond the age of 55, if you are? Simply because you have to, to pay the bills and fund your eventual retirement, or because you love your work, or maybe a combination of both. Numbers to call 416-360-0740, or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We want to hear from older workers on this Labor Day, 416-360-0740, 866 740 So David, I'll begin with you, since you are a demographic expert. Tell us about the shift we've seen in more Canadians working beyond the traditional retirement ages of both 65 and 55.
3: Well, it's certainly underway and it's unstoppable and it's only going to grow. And I think there's three main reasons you alluded to in your intro. One is, um, I want more money, um, you know, to, to set up a retirement. Number two, I'm not gonna get enough money from my retirement package, be it pension or Canada pension or personal or RSP or whatever it is. And increasingly, a lot of people uh, wanna keep working because uh, it keeps them sharp. There's some scientific evidence to say that the longer you work, uh, the, the healthier uh, you will be for longer, mentally sharper, a way of you know, maybe warding off dementia. It, it varies by the individual, of course, but there's all those three reasons are converging, and uh, so we're going to see. Uh, we're just at the beginning of what's uh, what's going to be happening here.
1: When was it decided, David, that 65 was the time you you got out of the workforce, you got your gold watch, and you sat on your rocking chair for the rest of your life?
3: The the legend, or one story, and it may be an urban urban legend, but. It actually is apparently it goes back to Bismarck, Chancellor Bismarck of Germany, who brought in the first pension and he picked 65 uh, because the average uh, most people died by 67, 68. So he had a chance to do a politically popular thing without it costing a lot of money.
1: Oh, well, that's interesting because if you think now about how long people live into their 80s are the average uh, ages for both men and women. I think it's 82 and 84. 84 for women, 82 for men. So in that case, retirement age should be 80 now.
3: <laughs> well, exactly. And and uh, that's another reason people are working longer because even if you take 82 and now 90 is not that rare, you're looking at 15, 20 years of uh, longevity after you've stopped working. There's not that many people or there's fewer people that have enough money to keep that going without any further income coming in.
1: Bill, what would you like to add in terms of what you're hearing from CARP members uh, who are older beyond those traditional retirement ages of 55 and 65? Why they keep on working?
2: Yeah, Well, everything that uh, David said, uh, of course, but a key area uh, is tied into both, uh, living longer and a concern about having enough money, uh, for the rest of their life. Our recent survey of, of, uh, CARP members, which was just finished, uh, Uh, last week, uh, shows the number uh, two concern after health concerns of older Canadians is financial uh, security, whether or not they'll outlive uh, uh, their money. And also, uh, as David said, uh, they not only want to keep active, but they don't feel like it's time for retirement. As uh, as someone who's a part of that demographic we're talking about, I can tell you, uh, I and all the people I talk to don't Feel like uh, we need to slow down just because we're well into our 70s. Because uh, actually, we feel like 70 is is the uh, uh, is the new is the new 50 is the new 70 that we feel just as young as those uh, who are uh, in in years much younger than uh, than we are. And the last thing we want to do is spend the rest of our years sitting in a rocking chair looking out the front window.
1: Well, absolutely. I do have some Zoomer Radio listeners who want to get in on on the conversation. But let me ask you both, uh, and I will also give you my reason for working beyond 55. uh, uh, Bill, what does work give you? Why are you doing it into your 70s, as you say?
2: Yeah, well, it gives me the satisfaction of uh, contributing, of being able to do things. I'm following a very different career now than I, that I did earlier in my life. I'm enjoying it. I'm able to, to uh, e- experiment with uh, new things, uh, new, new areas of, of interest. And uh, I believe it, it keeps me, as David said, uh, sharper in mind and feeling younger in body.
1: David, what about you personally? What keeps you going or why do you keep going? <laughs> well, yeah, my, my
3: retirement date is never um and I'm lucky in that I spend so much of you know my career has been and still is involved with you know research and writing it's not like I'm working in a you know a, a physical job so I could keep this going and I think it's a tremendous to tackle Bill's a sense of uh, validation self-worth you still have a contribution to make and I also find that I'm I've a chance through Zoomer to be following uh, probably the most important social trend ever, which is, of course, uh, aging, the reinvention of aging. So I feel like I've got a a front row seat to a very exciting and dynamic and important story. Why would I want to uh, go off stage uh, now?
1: well I, I feel the same way and I'm just beyond 55 but uh, a lot of my friends are starting to talk about it you know Jane what's your five year plan uh, questions like that and I do have friends who have retired now maybe they will decide that they want to do something else but the reason I keep doing it is because uh, primarily here at zoomer media experience is valued uh, it's not uh, it's it's seen as uh, giving you uh, uh, giving you uh, momentum to keep going and to share your experience uh, with younger workers. Uh, what's great here at Zoomer Radio and Classical FM is that we have a variety of different ages working in the newsroom and working in programming and production. So it is the it is the interspersing of, of all the demographics that makes life so interesting here. And uh, we're all valued for our experience, be whether we're young or middle-aged or, or older. Why are you still working. It's Labor Day, and we're having a conversation about older workers with our Zoomer squad, David Kravitz and Bill Van Gorder. Numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 Andrew, in Newmarket, thanks for calling in.
4: Well, thank you for uh, taking my call.
1: So you're, st- you're an older worker?
4: Well, I'm 65 years old, but um, I definitely believe that it it depends on your vocation. Uh, For myself, I've been self-employed for 45 years, and my my vocation is gardening. So, um, you know, people retire and do what I do, and so basically... Something for me, uh, retirement for me is is just basically slowing down a little. But to to always enjoy gardening. But again, as you know, your commentators, if you love your work, obviously you uh, <laughs> you're going to continue it. And, and I definitely b- believe it, it'll keep you younger. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it depends on your work.
1: And Andrew, do you keep full time hours, or do you um, are you part time? How have you how have you conducted your work week? Well, actually, it,
4: it's. Um, it's something that I have now, just in the last year, cut my work in half. So I'm able to enjoy a cottage. I'm able to uh, take my time with my gardening. And I still basically live outside, which is, uh, which is huge. The only uh, down part of my business was the snow plowing. But again, um, I've taken care of that, and, and, and um, I don't do the snow plowing anymore. So I'm really definitely able to still enjoy what I do, but in, in a lower scale.
1: All right, well, thank you for calling in. It's great to hear your story. Great, thank you. David, That uh, and that's common, too, among Zoomers, right? That you're able to, in a lot of cases, tailor how much, how little you want to work.
3: It's, a, it's an excellent point, and I think it's the big point to be made here. What we're really seeing the end of is the absolute either-or. I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, bang, 65 Gold Watch, Farewell Party, I'm not working. Now we're seeing these hybrid models, and I'm even starting to read some articles for the first time, where financial planners are beginning to factor in your work as part of your retirement so that here's how much you're going to get when you cut your income back to X, your pension will pay this, your RSP will pay this, the government will pay that, and they're developing these blended models now where you're actually factoring in a continuation of working at some level
5: uh,
3: as part of the rest of your life program. And that, to me, is where it's going. It's going to be dozens, perhaps, of highly individualized models of full-time, part-time, entirely new careers, side hustle, all of the above. The, the, The watchword, I think, in this topic going forward will be all of the above.
1: I like the side hustle. I like that term. Uh, and Bill, I mean, it doesn't have to be work for an income. A lot of people, when they decide to give up uh, their profession or sort of change the way they're living their lives, they pour a lot of hours into volunteering for various organizations.
2: Well, they certainly uh, do. And we know that uh, older Canadians are by far the largest uh, uh, percentage group of volunteers across the across the country. In fact, the numbers of younger people who are volunteering the percentage is going down, which means that uh, uh, volunteer work, the service clubs, are overwhelmingly populated by uh, older uh, older Canadians. Uh, uh, church groups, social groups. Uh, uh, community activity uh, we're seeing it even in the uh, the federal election currently most of the volunteers uh, for elections both for the parties and working in uh, in voting places traditionally have been uh, older Canadians and because there's been some hesitation uh, this year and inability for them we've seen a real struggle to get volunteers and workers in those areas so there's an economic contribution uh, of seniors to the economy that far exceeds the extra expense that uh, they may incur in health costs as they get older.
1: We're talking about older workers and why Zoomers keep on working beyond the traditional retirement years. We'll go back to the phones here, uh, and I do have a line or two open, but it's a popular topic, 416 360 740 1866 740 4740 Pat in Toronto, welcome to Fight Back.
5: Hi, Jane. Um, you don't call it experience. What you have is intellectual capital, and it sounds much better, and actually is what you have. Experience really is worthwhile and can be of great value to many organizations.
1: I agree. I agree, and I think. Uh, our, our, what is your situation, Pat? How
5: well, I retired from a regular, you know, seven five day a week job uh, when I was fifty six. I bought a business. In fact, I bought two businesses. I served as eight years as a politician. I've done significant travel, and I'm actually working today. So, um, but what, you know, one of the issues that I am most concerned about is what I refer to as the haves and the have-nots. Uh, government, anybody associated with government or organizations like Hydro, have you know gold standard pensions the rest of the population is struggling mm-hmm. and uh, we've got to do something about that because it impacts things like the nursing home issue etc uh, and we've got a huge difference you know where the best pensions are 70% fully indexed so uh, that means people can retire and 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 just do nothing if they want but uh, I think that's our biggest problem.
1: Thank you Pat thanks for calling in on that. Uh, David would you like to comment on what Pat was talking about?
3: well i think he's right but i think the first part of what he said is is you know could be worth a whole program or two is what he called the intellectual capital of the experience some companies are beginning hr is just beginning to realize how much money leaves the building when somebody retires and there are some organizations that are pioneering now in trying to capture that knowledge they're doing Uh, exit interviews and trying to capture on video actually what were your experiences what did you learn what did you know that the younger workers who may be even better qualified on paper maybe with more degrees or credentials they didn't live through this that or the other they don't have the judgment they can't have it comes with years and is there a way we can formally capture the kind of knowledge Pat was talking about and I think he's absolutely on target, that's going to become a bigger and bigger issue.
1: Let's go to Mark in High Park. Hi, Mark. Are you still working?
6: Yes, I'm still working, and I'm happily working because I'm in the media.
1: Okay, great.
6: And I, did, you know, I was running government business, a shipping business travel agency. So why I'm in the media? Because I'm meeting new people and new ideas.
1: And uh, do you mind me asking how old you are?
6: I'm 66.
1: Oh, you're 60. So you're just beyond that traditional retirement age. Uh, do you have any plans to change how you're doing your work? Or are you going to keep at it like this for a while?
6: I am plan- making a plan for the next 25 years.
1: Oh, 25 years. Well, congratulations. I wish you health and happiness.
6: But um, the, I would like to mention that very often uh, because I remember the times when you paid 10 cents with, to park your car. Now it is impossible. So the problem is in in these days that people cannot retire because there is not enough money uh, from any kind of government pensions. So there is, and especially Toronto, is um, facing a big, big challenge. And the politicians are not talking about it, but it is, um, everybody knows that the cost of living skyrocketed We have the inflation, Galloping inflation and, uh, um, it will be. One or two years, it will be a major yeah. change in okay. uh, the economic model.
1: I understand. I, Thank you. And I, I'm going to get our panelists to comment on that. Uh, Bill, certainly, you know, when we're talking about doing work that makes us feel good and vital, and uh, we we keep at it, not necessarily because we need to financially, but there are a whole lot of Canadians out there who are working and maybe doing backbreaking work beyond 65 simply uh to get the paycheck and are not enjoying their lives. There, there, is, a, there is that whole segment of our population.
2: Well, there certainly is. There's an economic uh, inequality right across the country, and it's something that, that, uh, as uh, the previous caller said, uh, governments and bureaucrats, uh, uh, people who have uh, uh, index pensions, don't understand that there is a large percentage of the uh, population, not as big as it used to be, but in some areas, for instance, 30 percent of single women under, uh, under 65 or over 65 years of age across the country uh live at or below the the poverty line or what they they like to soften by saying the low income the low income line and and what we find is is the politicians and the bureaucrats who make the decisions about how money how money is distributed to older people don't understand this uh, inequality and that's why uh those of us who who do have reasonable incomes get very upset when governments will give a single amount of money to everybody in our demographic when it's really between 25 and 30 percent of the older Canadians who really need that extra help.
1: And David, further to that, you know, uh, I alluded to it there at the beginning of the show, uh, if you have a government pension, if you're a teacher, if you've been uh, a public servant, you have a full pension uh, in a lot of cases when you're between 55 and 60 years of age to use until the day you die. So your, your, your standard of living does not change. A conversation we haven't had much of in this country is about those who work for private business. Uh, you are uh you are supposed to fuel your retirement on your own you in a lot of cases your employer does not match your contributions there's an unfairness there uh between public uh, workers and private workers
3: well there is and I, I the only the only area where i would um mildly disagree with my good friend bill is i don't think that the politicians and bureaucrats don't understand this I think they understand this perfectly well, and they're caught in a system of their own making where they've got to spread around a finite sum of money, uh, particularly at election time. I know I'm sounding a little cynical here. I think they know perfectly well where the dollars are and who's getting what and who isn't. Uh, They are in no position to roll back uh, lavish uh, public service pensions. They've got that all locked up, and they've got to kind of distribute very finite Funds across competing uh, wants, and it is unfair. And um, it's just getting underway. We are going to see more and more of this because the average savings, if the over over forty percent of baby boomers, for example, who are without pensions, those that don't have pensions, have less than fifty thousand dollars of money saved up. Hmm. Now, try stopping the try and get off the carousel if you've got 50,000 saved up and you've got 30
1: years of lifespan ahead of you and does this and include the just I mean, you
3: can't, can't be done
1: and and what about the equity in a property in a home well,
3: okay, yeah, that's true. Yes. So a lot of people will cash that in or right. get a reverse mortgage. But we're still talking about a lot of years of longevity, the good news. On the other hand, not enough money. and the, the the I don't know what the situation is in Canada, but in the U.S., Social Security is required by law to reveal when they're going to run out of money, and they just, they just announced it's going to be one year sooner than they thought. Sometime in the 2050s, I think. No more money. So you've been paying it to Social Security all this time. And uh, sorry, we're tapped out. You that want to is see people working past the age of retirement. Keep your eyes down there,
1: right? No, and that that is very concerning. Uh, that possibility it's, it's Jane for Libby at Zoomer Radio's Fight Back Labor Day edition, along with David Kravitz and Bill Van Gorder. We're talking about working into your traditional retirement years on this Labor Day. Uh, the phone lines are jammed. It's obviously a conversation that our older demographic wants to have. Let's go to Nancy in Toronto. Go ahead, Nancy.
7: Hi. Um, yes, uh, I'm just calling because uh, I'm 71. I'm almost 72. And uh, I'm a security guard. And uh, I went back to work because I was diagnosed with cancer and lupus in the same year. And I wanted to be around um, my coworkers that were healthy, <laughs> that, right. uh, complained about the common cold, and uh, just put everything into perspective.
1: And how are you doing? How is your health?
7: Well, it is deteriorating. Um the cancer doesn't bother me so much, the non Hodgkin lymphoma, but the lupus is is very difficult. Uh, it's attacking um pretty well every organ and uh and then now I've got a new diagnosis of breast cancer. So oh, Nancy, um so it sorry. is difficult but um I uh, uh I fund a construction charity on my own. I have for years and uh so I do it for that uh, reason and also um because I just don't want to be in the hospitals. I'd rather be at work, um, you know, and uh, and help people that, uh, that complain about, you know, minor things. Kind right.
1: Of thing. Help them put things in perspective. That's right. Right. Well, thank you for sharing your story, Nancy. All the best to you. Thank you so much. Okay, let's go to Morris in Burlington. Go ahead. Hello. Hi, Morris. What would you like to add? Well, basically... Um when I reached sixty-five ten
3: years ago, I realized that in my brain I had a lot of messages that might have been appropriate to my father when he was sixty-five.
1: So what? So give us an example. Well, just just for one thing, that you can't work past sixty-five. Okay, <laughs> that that was right. that was a deadline, right? <laughs> well, but it was what
3: they all grew up with. Yes. And it affected my father a great deal, um, and uh, but
1: again, once I heard the messages, I knew that we're in a different world. Right. No, so that's that is very true. Sorry if I cut you off there. That that is very true. We are living in a different time, different expectations, very individual uh, ways of going about living into your older years. Peter and Brampton, hi. You're on Fight Back. Hi,
3: I'm uh, 76 and a half as of September the 2nd. I'm still working full-time as a security guard. I've been doing that since February 2001, and I plan to keep on until I'm 80. At that point, I'll probably lose my driver's license and will have to do something else. My first career was with the army. Then I spent 20 years as a teacher, teaching French as a second language. I've also sold cars and financial plans. But I'm enjoying uh, Condo Security, and
0: I'll just keep it going until I'm 80.
1: Well, that's great. What do you like about your work now?
0: Oh, it's a lot of a lot of people contact, and uh,
1: I uh, do
3: patrols, so it keeps me healthy and physical. And I like the extra money because I have no
0: pension, no private pension at all.
1: Well, exactly, and that's that's the case for a lot of people. Well, it's good that you're enjoying yourself. Uh, all the best for these next four years. And beyond, and beyond. Thank you, Peter. Let's go to Jan in Grafton. Uh, Jan, what are your thoughts on working into your Zoomer years? Well, I just wanted to
8: advocate for retirement, actually. I, I got the implication from a couple of comments that were made that if you retire, you sit in a rocking chair and, uh, and you kind of fall off the end of a cliff. I think it feels that way. I retired and, um, gradually, and I think it feels a little bit like that, but I really think the value of Letting go, especially for people who have been in very um, intense professional careers where your sense of identity is very much wedded to the work that you do. I was an academic and I was four years old when I went to nursery school, and then I retired when I was about 67, 68. All of those years spent in one kind of institution, Mm -hmm. an academic institution, and I found. That I needed to be another person and I think retirement has allowed me to do that, to discover myself as different things than the things that my, my occupation and my profession picked up on. And so I think there are those kinds of values to letting go of a long-term work career. Uh, it is a challenge. It's not easy to change your identity, it is very challenging, it can be very painful, you do feel like you're lost at some times, but when you start rediscovering other aspects of who you are, you take off in other directions. And I just wanted to make that point because it just seemed to me that most of the points that were being made We're about continuing on with work.
1: Well thank you for that Jan Uh, that's very helpful information Uh, I'll let you go and let our panelists uh, weigh in on that our Zoomer squad. You know what Jan is talking about there David and these will be our final comments on this topic it reminds me of uh, Moses philosophy on rehirement that you know after a lengthy career in one profession you get to discover something else that you like to do in your later years if your financial situation allows for it.
3: Well, absolutely right. She makes a great point, but it it just fits what I said about all of the above. So you have people retiring, period. You have people discovering second careers. Uh, This is a time of year Labor Day weekend. Traditionally, schools are, are getting started. We could have done the whole show on back to school for Zoomers because a lot of older people are going back to school, either in the service of keeping on working by brushing up their skills or getting a new skill altogether, or perhaps, uh, I don't know if Jan was sufficiently turned off by academics to not want to do any further schooling, but a lot of people want to go back into that world just to learn something for the fun of it, a new language, a new uh, topic that I was always interested in and never could pursue. So she's absolutely right. But what it speaks to is engagement, ongoing engagement, Whether for money, whether for a career or whether for pleasure. And she's she's, uh, another that's another sharp, uh, big, sharp strand of the mosaic that working uh, has become.
1: I like back to school for Zoomers. I'm going to put that down as a note for Labor Day 2022. (laughs) (laughs) Big topic. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, And Bill, final words on this Labor Day. I think
2: the one thing we haven't talked about and the best advice that I could give to people who are contemplating retirement is don't fix yourself in a situation where uh, what's going to happen after you uh, retire or pass whatever that goal is. Don't put yourself in a position where you must uh, uh, follow one line. Take three, six, even 12 months off uh, and uh, search around, find what's going to work best for you because it is individual. Uh, for everyone, as the last uh, caller said. And it's not a decision that can be made quickly and not something that you can really know what you want to do until you're in that position.
1: Well, thank you very much for calling in. Uh, Also to our Zoomer squad, Uh, we ended up uh, covering the whole half hour with that. Uh, And so, guys, we won't be discussing the federal election campaign this time. But when you're back with Libby on Monday, uh, which will be a week before the election, that I'm sure will be the hot topic. So thank you both for today. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating Officer and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, our Monday Zoomer squad. Coming up next, we'll talk about your options for casting a ballot in the federal election. That's next.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown.
1: Voting in a federal election by mail is not a new option. It's been around since the early 90s for Canadians living abroad and students living outside their home ridings. But since we are still in a pandemic, the people at Elections Canada are expecting an especially high turnout of votes by mail. Joining us to talk about your options, Natalie DeMontini is Regional Media Advisor with Elections Canada and joins us on the line. Hi, Natalie. Hi, thank
9: you for having me.
1: Well, let's talk about the options this federal election, all the different ways to vote first.
9: Yes. Okay, so if you want to vote in person, and that's probably the easiest way to vote, it's still like um, on September 20th, which is the day of the election, or you can take advantage of advanced polling days, which are, you know, next Friday. So from Friday, September 10th, to Monday, September 13, 9 to 9, 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. Okay. So those are options. Now you mentioned voting by mail. So if you want to vote by mail, then you need to apply to get your voting kit. You can, av- you can apply on our website. It's pretty straightforward. Or you can actually call us, and we'll send you um, we'll send you the form to to fill in. But you need to hurry. What what we need to um, at this point, um, as of today, I would strongly encourage people to um, to know how or to decide how they're going to vote, because there is there are deadlines attached to all of those. And the fourth option is to vote at. An office at Elections Canada office. So I think that maybe some people are not aware of that, but you can go. I, you can go vote today. You can actually go vote today until September um, fourteen, and uh, you can just uh, you know you'll you'll go to the Canada, Canada um, office and Elections Canada's office, and then you'll be voting by special ballot.
1: Okay, so that is a lot of options. Let's get back to the voting by mail for just a moment. You have to apply for a voting kit, I'm reading here, by September 14th, yes? Absolutely. By
9: September 14th at 6 p.m., you need to apply for your voting kit. Um, And you can do so online. Um, As I said, it's, it's, you know, like there's steps um, to do that. You need to um, prove your identity and your address. Okay. That's a requirement to um, vote in, in Canada. And then once your application has been um, received by Elections Canada, um, you get a reference number. So you'll be able to check um, your, um, the status of your application. So if, you, um, if it's been received, if it's been approved, it's, if your kit has been sent to you. One thing that is important to know is once you've been, you know, accepted, that's the only way you can vote. You cannot change your mind. And what you will receive, like, um, you know, the special ballot kit, is it will be like a series of envelopes that you'll receive and a special ballot. So the special ballot is different than when you vote in person. When you vote in person, you have the name of all the candidates in your writing, and then you select the one you want to vote for. When you vote by special ballot, it's a blank um, ballot. So you are responsible to um, input the name uh, and the last name of the candidate that you're voting for. Then you're actually putting it into an inner envelope that will keep the secrecy of your vote. You put it into another envelope, which is called the outer envelope and then you sign a declaration that you're a Canadian citizen, that you're only voting once Um, and then you sign that and you put it in into a third envelope, and that third envelope will be pre-addressed and um, prepaid. So that will be returned to your um, writing, if you're a local elector.
1: Okay, uh, we, uh, we'll get all the information uh, on the website as well as the phone number. So if you are yes. thinking about voting by mail, grab a pen and a paper so you can get this information down, Natalie, and I will give that to you in just a moment. What's important uh, to note here, Natalie, is that uh, in order to vote by mail, first of all, you do have to apply by the 14th of September. But then your ballot has to be received by Elections Canada by Election Day, September 20th, in order for it to count.
9: Yes, absolutely. That's very important. So you can mail it back, obviously, because, like I said, there's a pre-approved, a pre-addressed envelope. If you are worried that you may not. It may not get there on time. You can drop it at the Elections Canada office okay. uh, of your own writing, or you can actually bring it to um, where you were supposed to vote um, on the, until the poll closes on September 20th. And so you, when you do that, it's not like you'll just go... Um, to a person that will direct you where to put your, um, your uh, special ballot kit at that, at that moment. You won't have to go through the whole line.
1: Okay, so you can actually take your series of envelopes, as you uh, explained to us, you can take that to where you would normally go to vote in person and drop it off. Absolutely, yes. Okay. Um, uh, what are you expecting in terms of mail-in ballots, and and how will it compare to years when we haven't had a pandemic?
9: Yes. Yeah, so, if we want to compare um, last election, there was about 50,000 people who voted by mail, now I'm just looking at um, the recent numbers. We have issues um, close to 550,000 um, voting kits to electors. And um, um, there's uh, about 135,000 of those kits that have already been returned to Elections
1: Canada. Okay, so it's about 10 times the demand. Yes. We were expecting more. Mm-hmm. Um, we were ready because when we
9: did the surveys, like in in, uh, in the spring, there was more people that said that I had intention to vote um, by mail. But at this point, that's the number that,
1: that we have. Okay. Uh, I do have a caller who wants to ask you a question. Chris in Toronto, go ahead. Chris, do you have a question oh, for yes, Natalie? I, I, didn't, uh,
10: yes. Uh, go ahead. My question is, I'm visually impaired, okay, and I'm immune compromised, so I cannot get vaccinated. So I phoned Elections Canada, and basically I was told, because I can't use technology, I can't scan my ID into anything or anything like that, that I would have to use a go-between some intermediary to get my ID photocopied, faxed, scanned, what have you. And I can't do that. So it sounds like for the first time I'm not going to be able to vote.
1: Uh, okay um, and traditionally you would you would I mail would just
10: it I would show up at at the, at the polling station usually advance polls but because of my medical condition and our pandemic you know, I don't understand why I can't just be mailed a voting kit.
1: Okay, so you, you're you not going to vote on Election Day because you're concerned for your health? about, about Yeah, and yeah. I'm also
10: concerned for the health of others because I can't be vaccinated.
1: Understood. Okay, so in Chris's situation, Natalie, what would you recommend? You know what? I think that Chris
9: had done what I was going to to recommend is contact your Elections um, Canada office, and, and it's true that then... You know, unfortunately, if nobody can help you, um, that that is something that it's it's hard. Like I, I have my aunt, you know, who's ninety seven years old, and and she wanted to vote by mail, but I was able to help her out. You know, like um, downloading um, her ID, so she could receive the special voting kit. So, I think at this point, unfortunately, um, um, you know, if you cannot, if, if you know, you would need, you know, an extra help from, from someone um, to, to get that um, um, order, to get your kit order. Okay, okay.
4: I have to
10: say that the answer is not good enough.
1: All right.
9: Uh, well, it, it, it's just that's not
10: acceptable. I'm I'm a registered voter. I've never missed an election. I voted all three municipal levels. Yes. And simply because of my my health condition and the fact that we're crossed with a pandemic, I can't get a special voting kit. Now, I'm telling you this on the phone, I'm not going to be fraudulent or what have you with the voting kit. You know, I just don't understand why someone in my condition, and there's thousands of us, perhaps millions of people across the country, who will be in the same situation, and basically we're told, we can't vote.
1: So the best advice, and just in the interest of time, Chris, not to dismiss your concerns or comments, um, Natalie, he should call his Elections Canada office and insist on a process. Absolutely. Okay, thank you Chris. No, they already
10: I already they were already told me that they could if they had staffing available send somebody over but don't count on
1: it. Okay, well, I would just suggest that you follow up again. I do have to let you go. Um, I appreciate that that situation is a situation that uh, there are people in this country facing as a result of the pandemic. And Chris is trying to be responsible and respectful and should be allowed to vote. Um, Natalie, let's, uh, I know you have to go. So let's get the details of how to apply for your voting kit to vote by mail online and the phone number.
9: So, you can go to elections.ca, so election with an S.ca to apply online, or you can call us at 1 800 463
1: 6868. Natalie, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Natalie De Montigny is Regional Media Advisor with Elections Canada. Again, to apply to vote by mail, elections.ca or 1-800-463-6868. It's Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back on this special Labor Day edition. And still to come, we will check in with the Scientific Director of the Ontario COVID-19 Science Advisory Table with the latest on the Delta variant and what's being recommended to fight it.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby's Nimer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown.
1: Dr. Peter Uni joins us now on Fight Back as he does from time to time. Dr. Uni is the scientific director of the Ontario COVID 19 Science Advisory Table. Dr. Uni, thanks for taking some time on this holiday for us.
11: Thanks for having me again. Hi.
1: Hi. So uh, tell us where we're at with the Delta variant. Um, I see that the seven-day rolling average of daily cases, it continues to climb, uh, not substantially every week, but certainly notably.
11: Oh, We look much better than a few weeks ago. We need to be aware of that. Not with the daily case numbers, it's as you say, you know, they uh, creep up, but much slower than a few weeks ago. Probably what we saw a few weeks ago was the effect of the long weekend, the last one. So it worries me now what's happening these days, obviously. I hope people, you know, are okay with their behavior and mainly meet outside. This will help big time. But taken together and also comparing ourselves with uh, other places in the world and other provinces in Canada, we actually look really quite good, considering that we now have the next big step starting, that school openings.
1: Yes, school openings. And how well protected are the schools? Look, again, if you look at that from
11: an international perspective and compare us, here in Ontario with many other places. We actually look quite good. This will be probably a bumpy road, but I think the preparations have gone relatively well. I can't tell you yet how good this all went, you know, with the ventilation and filtration to make sure that that uh, you know the air quality is really high but i really think people were trying so what we now just need to do is make sure that uh, our kids all are again well trained have the right attitude this is all about the parents attitudes here so um if this works well and they really wear masks consistently do the physical distancing part or the cohorting part, that will all help. And we need to carefully monitor what's going on, but we could well have been way above 1,000 with our case numbers now. We're only approaching 800, that's a good start. We have now the vaccine certificates finally, you know, as uh, as uh, one of the tools in our toolbox. This will help to, to control the pandemic a bit. And we should be relatively optimistic now, as long as we continue to do the right thing. And we can't let anything slip, can't let the guards down, just continue with what we're doing, and then we'll see what's happening next.
1: Now, Dr. uni would you recommend that in classrooms, students should still be physically distanced two meters apart? Is, is that what the science table is recommending? Because what I'm hearing anecdotally from teachers is that that is impossible in most classrooms.
11: It depends on the situation in the classrooms, and it depends also on the age of the students. So if you have smaller students, especially below the age of 12, um, your tool is mainly the cohorting, meaning you leave the classes together and you try to avoid that the classes start to mingle. That's the point. Uh, for older students, it's a bit different. And there, the point will then also be, you know, just outside in the cafeteria or somewhere else that you really request students to continue to be not uh, so, social or physically distant in addition to the masking. So it depends on what, what's going on. Again, we need to live with what we have, you know. We can't have miracles, uh, you know, given everything, but we just try to do in every single situation uh, as good, uh, do it as good as we gets and of course, make sure in uh, those 12 years or older that as many students as possible and all the adults, huh, parents and staff, etc., are vaccinated. That's what will protect schools best right now, together with all of us adults just being disciplined enough that you can keep these case numbers, you know, just in a reasonable range.
1: Well, let me ask you this, Dr. Yuni. You mentioned about the vaccine certificate uh, phase in, uh, which is going to begin September 22nd with proof of vaccination. Now, why are schools not part of this vaccine certificate program? So in other words, if a child is 11 or under, that there is proof that everybody in the child's household who's eligible uh, has had a vaccine or that those students who are eligible show proof of uh, vaccination before physically going to the classroom?
11: So um, one thing which is important, you know, we weren't directly involved in this specific decision-making from the science table, but I can give you my perspective. There are different aspects which are really important. One is the distinction between discretionary and non-discretionary spaces so right now what you see is vaccine certificates used for places where people don't have to go i don't force you you don't have to go to indoor dining or a gym no but if you want to go you just need to uh, provide a vaccine certificate proof of vaccination with two doses period the other part is we know relatively well of course also what the main culprits are out there, uh, from a, from a various analyses, and indeed, gyms and indoor dining are just among those um, facilities that really contribute most. That's another point. So, when you look into that, it's relatively clear you will start just with discretionary spaces that have the highest risk, and that's what was was uh, has been tackled. That's a great start. What happens next, we will see. We also need to be aware of that once more. Since children are at lower risk, of um, serious disease, serious yes. outcomes, and still, of course, have you know a, a certain risk of an ICU admission, for example, but it's far, far lower than for adults. Uh, the entire story related to childhood vaccination, etc., is a bit less clear than when we look at this for adults and for the elderly, et cetera. So when you take all of this together, I think what we have now for certificates is an excellent first step. It's well-informed by science, and now we need to implement that first and see how it goes, you know. Consider this as a process. This is ongoing, and we'll see where we are in a few weeks after we implemented it.
1: Uh, How will the vaccine certificate program, uh, how will that affect vaccination numbers? Uh, I understand that almost right after the program was announced by the premier that there was an uptick in uh, the, the unvaccinated getting their vaccines.
11: Yeah, it will impact. That's what we see in all the other places where this has been done. You know, typically it starts to play a role, especially if it's done the way we're doing it now. So you don't have any, any major alternatives. So you either get the certificate eventually by having two vaccines or, or, or you don't, and you don't have many alternatives. You know, the medical exemptions are very few. It's basically just an allergy um, uh, confirmed by an allergologist or immunologist or um, you have had um, a myocarditis or pericarditis. That's the only exception that you have. Uh, as a medical exception. And when you look at that, it will probably again push quite a few people to say, okay, it's probably now more complicated not to get vaccinated than to get vaccinated and this will help us. We will see how high we go. You know, the point is we already reached the plateau and now what we're seeing is that the plateau again, gets a slope upwards, which is great. How much this will be, we will only see over time. Um, We do that relatively late in the process and were relatively successful before, so it will be interesting to see how many more people now will just say, okay, I get it. And I get vaccinated now since it's too complicated. I want to go to a gym or whatever.
1: Our time always goes by so quickly, Dr. Uni. Just two minutes left. Um, uh, And I want to ask you, and I know everybody wants to know, where are we at with the modelling numbers, the best and worst case scenarios going forward? It
11: depends on our
1: behaviour and also how well this now goes, you know, with
11: school openings. The point really is... um, We are in better shape now than two to three weeks ago, but we have growth, and what we just need to be aware of is that once schools are open, there will be a moment where we probably need to make some sacrifices with our liberty, just a little bit. This is not about lockdown, really not, and that's important. So the point is, when you look back into June, you know, the, the contacts we had in June, that's probably later on in the year end of september or so where we would want to go back in terms of the amount of contacts we had with other people and uh, and we just need to try to achieve that there will be different ways of dealing with it so uh, first of all the vaccine certificates will help if we don't change our behavior but the other part is also that we need to start to think about stuff like you know working from home again etc we can't be you know too mobile and have too many contacts otherwise numbers could go up up to eight nine thousand in october and if this were the case then we would start to be challenged on our icu again but many places in the world show if you do a little bit you reach quite a lot but we just need to keep going with vaccination
1: that's what we'll try to do dr peter uni thank you so much for your time once again thanks a lot for having me Dr. Peter Yuni is the scientific director of the Ontario COVID-19 science advisory table. Jane, for Libby, I'll be back with you again tomorrow, uh, first on the morning Zoom with Sam and Jane, and then on Fight Back when our strategy panel will join us. Enjoy the rest of your holiday.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.